welcome back to the What The Fork preview show. Sunland made it two wins and three last night as super sub Luke O'Neill made its long-awaited return to rescue an otherwise dire match for the Black Cats. And whilst a playoff place is still far from solidified, there's a ton of work to go into it, Saturday's home game against bottom of the league crew Alexandra is a massive opportunity to put three points next to our name. Now, before I introduce my guests, as I'm sure you know, I always bring an opposition guest, I just want to um, get serious for a minute and, and thank everyone for the, the well wishes and the support over the past week after what's obviously been a, a really scary health moment for myself. Um, difficult to describe the emotion of the past week, I suppose, but I just want to basically reiterate a huge thank you to everyone again and advise you that male, female or other, if you're listening right now, just have a check of your bits, make sure all's good, because without being too serious, it might save your life. Anyway... Enough of the serious bollocks. We do have a review show to get on with, and then most importantly, the game on Saturday. Um, to help preview the game on Saturday is someone who I've wanted on for ages, but we've been playing crew midweek for like a long time. Steve from the excellent crew podcast, the Real Women podcast. Steve, how are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, apart from the you know the, the obvious, which was <laughs> stated yeah. in the in the in the <laughs> intro. Um, but yes, mate. In in a football sense. I think it might have been the worst 81 minutes I've ever seen in my life, followed by a pretty decent nine minutes that followed it. But um, I think there's a lot to dig through, not just with Sunderland, with crew especially. Um, but we'll start from the top, as we always do. I think a second 3-1 defeat in, in four days for yourself, this time against Portsmouth at home. In short, how would you sum up the performance, Steve? Uh, same, same as we've seen before. Capitulation. A little bit of spirit, a little bit of fight. I mean, to be fair, I think we couldn't argue mostly with the commitment of the players. Uh, the quality isn't there. And yeah, we had a few chances and played some nice football. But when the game was dead and buried, and um, to be fair, when Pompey were probably coasting back in um, back in first gear, um, just utter lack of any kind of quality um, really in the final third is, is one of our major undoings right now. Yeah, it certainly seems so. And I think, you know, ultimately, I think that defeat means, correct me if I'm wrong here, but nine defeats in the past 10, you've got one win in, in that 10. It, it leaves you about, I think it's eight points of drift to safety. I might be asking a really stupid question here, but for the, the sake of the podcast, how is the mood in the fan base at the minute? I think it's quite divided. I think it really, it's split in that many um, want, want Dave Artel to stay. And, and recognise that he's made errors this season. He's made some very, very uh, clear errors, but he's also been beset by lots of misfortune, a, a massive injury crisis. Um, so the, it's split, but I think everyone is just really worn down by this run of defeats. I think the atmosphere was... was I wasn't at the game last night, but I watched it on stream. It was a very low attendance from our fans, uh, the atmosphere was like a morgue on three sides of the ground. I think everyone is, is worn down and is just sort of stuck in the same routine of going a goal down and then just shrugging the shoulders and expecting another defeat. And then that occasionally results in some in some infighting and some disagreements between fans, some who want Dave to stay and some who who want him to go. And they make the point that quite rightly at any other club, nine defeats in 10 games. You know, and let's be honest, there's been another 20-odd games before that where things have been pretty miserable. He would have got the boot. But 
Um, some people take pleasure in the fact that we're a bit different from other clubs and some are saying, actually, it just shows an utter lack of ambition. And I think we are a bit of a divided fan base at present. I think, you see, for me, that the worst kind of atmosphere for a football club, and I can only really speak from Sunderland's fan base, is that feeling of apathy. But I think technically the worst in terms of the way it weighs you down is a divided fan base. And Sunderland mm-hmm. have had that many times. We've probably still got a little bit of it now, maybe not as bad as it has been in the past. I hope people don't mind me saying that. Again, it's just my opinion. But I think the divided fan base does really grind you down because it's like, it's kind of, it's, I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but it sometimes feels like that kind of relationship and the divorce just at the end, doesn't it? And you're yeah. thinking, all we're doing is arguing, I love you, so I'm going to continue having this conversation with God, I just want to go to bed. Yeah, I think I think toxic is a word that was, and I think the toxicity reached its reached its kind of peak at, at Accrington when we when we crumbled four one, and there was all sorts of unpleasant scenes then. Um, I think since then the, the commitment of the players has probably improved, but the mood of the fan base is still very very divided. And a shameless plug, we we've got a a railway man. A podcast interview with with Dave Artell coming out on on Thursday this week, um, and I'll be very interested to see the reaction that that gets from the fan base. Um, maybe it'll divide further. Maybe it'll placate some. Who knows? Let's let's see what the feedback is. <clears throat> it's funny. I was going to come on to that because obviously at the time of speaking, it it hasn't been released. I think it's released in the morning, which will be Thursday morning. Um, and and I've seen it today, just with a, a scrolling too, because obviously. Like most, I guess, we, we speak on a regular basis, Steve, but um, I haven't listened to it yet. But for those listening to it, obviously, listening to this, it'll be available by now because this will be going out at the same sort of time. But um, you, you had, obviously, the chance to speak with David Artell on, on your own podcast this week. And, and considering the run that you bought them adrift and you're a fan podcast, I'm not going to lie, I found it remarkable yet massively impressive that A, you pulled it off and B, that he would want to speak to the fan base when, as you said, it's obviously got fractioned in it at the minute. As it is, I haven't listened to it yet, but the sheer fact that he did it does sort of tell me that he has some sort of rapport with the fans and there's still some love intact some way. Is the feeling swing more towards Artel staying or against it or is it literally 50-50? It's, I think it's genuinely 50 50. Uh, I, I, I do. Yeah, I think it is split right down the middle. And I think even those who want him to stay will say, look, he has made some some massive errors this year and, and recruitment has been dreadful. And there's been some bizarre tactical decisions that, that sometimes look like someone just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck. Um, but there is a feeling that, and my personal opinion is, I, I want him to stay. Um, I think he's been dealt some horrendous misfortune and, and, and ill luck and, and things went against him right from the off. Uh, and the players we lost last year. Um, but I do think it's 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 50-50. I think I saw someone did a, a poll on Twitter a while back. and It, it was, it was really close. Uh, I couldn't tell you one way or the other it's right down the middle which probably leads to that tension between the supporters sounds like Scottish independence almost a few years ago that does yeah. <laughs> some people would appreciate me saying that they're Scottish listeners um, in terms of the podcast itself without giving away any spoilers I was kind of curious how I'm guessing you've listened to it 
I I was not part of the team. I, I'm aware of some things that were discussed and I added a few questions, but I haven't listened to it yet. So I don't really know how it unfolds. Without giving away anything too much, what's the feeling amongst the, the people who did it that it was worth doing or it's going to be quite an expose, shall we say, and it's going to be people going to have questions, further questions? I think the feeling is that they were measured, they were fair, they didn't give him like a, a verbal going over, but there were some questions there that that people have have wanted answers about formations and decisions and transfers. Interesting. I actually am really curious to listen to it. And obviously, by the time people are listening to it now, you can listen to it. And since we're playing you on Saturday, I suggest people do. Um, but with crew, you've alluded to one or two things. I listened back to um, for a short period of time. I did the third tier podcast with with Tom. Um, and Matt and we were discussing where we thought players and teams would, would feature and listening back none of us had crew that far near the bottom certainly not adrift um, and it's a weird one because yes you were promoted a couple of years back like not uh, last season was your first season back in League One but you finished 11th last season it's not exactly like you've had one of those Sheffield United seasons where you were like sixth of points you've had a, you've solidified yourself your next season if you finish 15th, 16th, fair enough. But but where did this start going wrong? Because it felt like from the first week, crew were in a relegation battle, if I'm honest. It's a, it's a long, painful story. And it, it starts with losing the core of that team that got us promoted. So we, we lost uh, Perry NG. Um, mm. Where are we now? We lost him January um, last year. Came back uh, Mono, didn't he? Is that right? No, that he didn't. Was Pickering, Pickering, Pickering came back on, yeah. So, but Pickering when... We lost Wintle um, to the championship, um, went to Cardiff, then subsequently Blackpool on now now back at Cardiff. Um, Charlie Kirk left us a game or two into the season to Charlton. Largely, they were all expected, to be fair. But then Owen Dale, who'd been a really one of our most improved players last season, kind of threw his toys out of the pram and agitated for a move. And there was clearly something going on behind the scenes and then he got his move initially on loan to Blackpool so we lost him um, and, and he was a really someone we had high hopes for this year Tom Lowry who arguably is our most significant and creative midfielder had a contract dispute with the manager and then didn't really start a game until late October, uh, he was out in the cold didn't start and then we signed um a lad from Scotland, uh, Aberdeen, centre-half, Tom Tommy Hoban. Yes. Uh, we, we need an experienced centre-half. And then three days before the start of the season, he retires from professional football. Sean McDonald, who we'd signed, uh, I believe, from Rotherham, was, who was the experienced midfielder we felt we needed to replace Ryan Wintle. Four games in, he retires from professional football. So suddenly our recruitment is is blown apart. And I think that Artel was scrambling around trying to find out who he, who he could get his hands on. He brought in Ter- Terrell Thomas from ASC Wimbledon, who is clearly a very, very talented footballer. But quite frankly, he just could not be asked, and he was not up for it. And he left. We cancelled his contract in January and he went. And we've been playing 17-year-old scholars in the centre of defence because um, we're, we're that short of experience in there. So everything went wrong from the off. And, and to me, they're the factors 
that I think make it a bit of a mitigating season for for Dave in that things went wrong right from the off and we have had injury upon injury upon injury since then. And I know all the teams get injuries, but it just feels when you're at the bottom, they they just pile up. And, and the other night we had young Zach Williams, who's a really promising uh, young centre-half who's 17. He came back on. He'd been out for a few weeks, been, been quite ill, been in hospital. But in the same match, we lost one of our new signings, Dan Ajayi, who limped off. Looked like he's probably not going to be available at the weekend. And we lost Travis Johnson, who was getting some treatment just before half-time and then didn't come out for the second half. And that encapsulates our season. We get one lad back and we lose two through injury. You touched on the recruitment there. And I was going to ask about the the two players that you signed, because obviously they're both players that came from, from Scotland. Um Tommy Hoban, 27, I think, but vast experience. I think he previously at Watford where he started. And obviously you've got um, McDonald there as well, who I think was about 33. I, I find it bizarre, though. It's horrendously unlucky, but from a perspective of literally a Sunderland fan looking at crew, which, let's be honest, is not that in-depth other than you know what you see. But that they both retired within a few weeks due to injury problems and, and so on and so forth. And that that wasn't on the agenda when the recruitment team or whoever it is puts the recruitment together for yourselves. I find that bizarre. I mean, was the injury problems when they came in? Did they expect that or was it literally out of the blue? I think it was, I mean, there were whispers and rumours about, I mean, I think Holborn had suffered from injuries through his career, mm-hmm. but he played, he played a few pre-season games and, and by all accounts looked quite promising. But there were whispers that he was going to go off to become a, a financial advisor. I think I think he may well have done that, um, and um, the other guy he actually he actually played he played a couple of games for us uh, and by all accounts didn't look too bad, but I think he'd had um, he'd recently had uh, another child, and I think the the ups and downs and the travelling of, of League One campaign wasn't for him. I think he's since surfaced playing non league non league football in Wales. in Wales Wales I think Wales. It is. yeah yeah so. I mean, and obviously when that happens, inevitably the rumour mill starts to grind that, you know, are there problems behind the scenes? We've had two players retiring. There's got to be more to it. Nothing ever really came out, but obviously people have have thrown that at the manager saying there's got to be something wrong. How can two lads, one of whom was under 30, retire from pro football within a few weeks of joining the club? It does. I mean, we're now reading about it and I'm hearing about it from a non-emotional, completely black and white perspective, there was part of me that immediately went, how can you have signed someone that was going to retire a few days later? And then for it to happen twice, it just seemed bizarre. But you know what baffled me most about your recruitment in the summer? And we've discussed this off air quite a bit. Um, I hate to hammer anyone. I'm sure he's a lovely lad. Um, but Callum McFadgen was probably the worst left back I've ever seen for Sunderland. I don't think you fared too well for you either, but for those who are not aware of our own private conversations, he's already left, but how did Callum McFadden perform in a crew shirt? He was signed very much as cover because Rio Adebisi would be our first choice left back who's, who's, who's a young lad with a fair bit of promise. Hasn't really, hasn't really fulfilled it this year, perhaps you could argue, particularly going forward, but still has got lots of promise. So I think McFadden was signed as potential, uh, sorry, as cover, Um He's always done very well against us. He scored two blinders for Plymouth um, on the opening day of the season a few years back. Um, and I could I could see the thinking because, to be fair to him, he could clearly deliver 
a decent ball. And in his first few games that I saw him play, he didn't look too bad, particularly going forward. But then it just became apparent that he just couldn't do anything defensively. And whenever someone ran at him, he couldn't stop a cross, he couldn't tackle. Um, and I think there was a game when a hammering early season, about three of the four goals came from people just running at him and he just could not stop the cross. He was just inept defensively. Um, and he kind of disappeared for a little bit. Um, and then he was, uh, and then obviously January-wise, his contract was cancelled and he off, to went, off he went to join Hollywood FC at uh, Wrexham. Since then, he was that bad. We had Mika Mandron playing as a left wing back and we'd rather have me commander on playing as a left wing back than Callum McFadden. And you obviously know Mandron and you know, it's, it's not really his best position, but he did a bloody better job there than McFadden did. <laughs> I was trying to hold my laugh in so it didn't come across on the air uh, on the recording there, but you were discussing McFadden and, and the things you said just made me feel like last year, he can't, he, he just can't defend bless him. And, Obviously, Parkinson brought him in at Sunderland and, and Parkinson's took him to, as you said, Hollywood FC, which baffles my mind that Phil Parkinson and Cal McFadden are just kicking about with the So with Sunny and Philadelphia characters. But, you know, that, that by the by, that, that is the world of football and the crazy world that it is. Um, I saw that you had a, a fans forum not too long ago, I think maybe five days ago. Um, I've seen some fans forums really fix stuff, get things aired, sometimes even get things fixed. I've seen fans forums like South Ends a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I think, basically be like that meme with the dog and the, the fire and the cup of tea and this is fine and not go well. Um, I see some difficult questions were asked during it, but how did the fans forum go and, and has it fixed anything, do you think? Um, not really. Not really. I think a lot of the people, well, it sounds really awful, but I think a lot of the individuals who might, show some fire and brimstone on the internet maybe didn't go or didn't ask the question so it was all it was all rather cordial I mean the, the responses perhaps we, you might expect were there um, it was done pretty lousily online but to be fair to the club they tried to reach out and they tried to put it online but it was handled a bit poorly and, and the quality was really ropey so people like myself who couldn't get there it, it was a struggle to hear it but um in general, it hasn't really sold much. And I would imagine we might get more mileage out of the interview that's going to be on, on the pod, to be honest. Yeah. I think fans forms are a funny one. They always, I, th I think seven times out of 10, they end up just like throwing more fuel on the fire. And yeah. three times out of 10, it fixes it. I think ultimately, in almost every circumstance at a football club, what fixes it is winning games of football. Yeah. Um, although when it comes to something I will disagree with that but that's, that's a different story for another podcast I think but um, you've still got some really tidy plays in your squad though like I'll openly admit I'll not go too deep into it but crew were always my football manager team um, so naturally I think everyone's had that football manager team and you end up looking at how the players do in real life and I, I took a real interest in, in crew and you mentioned Tom Lowry. I think he's a really tidy, young, talented player. Callum Ainley, yeah, things to learn, but decent. You've got Regan Griffiths in the midfield as well. Yes, they're very young boys, but there's talent in there. You, you touched on Rio as well before. 
are they simply not performing to the standard? Has the things affected them? Like you mentioned, Tom Larry's contract dispute earlier on. Has other things affected them, or is it just confidence is drained? Or I think since Lowry's come back in, he, he's arguably been one of our better players. You know, it all goes through him, and, and anything good we do comes from comes from Tom Lowry. I don't think the season would have been and would have had a different outcome had he been in the team from August, but it's certainly um, harmed us with him not being there. Ainley that you mentioned has been drifting around that team for so long and has been tried in so many different positions and has continually flattered to deceive. There, There is, I think it's fair to say, a growing tide of it's probably time that he moved on because he just doesn't like look like he's ever going to make that potential he had arguably four or five years ago and when he's, he's got ability but he comes on he drifts he does something nice but then he'll he'll fall over the ball or over player or, or play a half-hearted pass Griffiths has has had a few has had a bit of a kicking because he's people are struggling to see kind of what he offers and what kind of player he is but I think since the low point a couple of games ago he's he's picked up a little bit and, and there might be some promise there um, but a lot of the young lads, you know, it's it's a sinking ship, and it's and if you're a young, inexperienced lad, you're you're looking for that experienced head, and there aren't many in that team really because those experienced players we signed uh, retired. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look through the team that played last night, there's maybe two names that stick out for me. You've obviously got Porter up front, who's well, I think he's knocking on for forty now, isn't he, Porter? Um, thirty-seven, thirty-eight potentially. Then alongside him, obviously, you've got Long, who was on loan at um, Motherwell last year and did okay. Obviously, has done okay. I think again at um, at Crew, I think he's got about three goals or something like that. But there's not a great deal of experience in there, like you say. And, and I know Crew for a long time. People look at the young talent that they bring through. I think you know you go all the way back to David Platt if you're looking at my era or our era. And, and you think the players that crew have brought through have gone on and done well. David Vaughan's a player that had a Premier League career. There's always been players that came from there, but they say you can't win anything with kids, and I know that's the, the end joke, but I think it's difficult in League One, isn't it, to have so many young players with a, a real lack of experience. We've even seen it this year with a few of our players being injured. Um, sorry, um, being young and, and kind of getting worn out with the Callum Doyle coming from Man City, 17, just turned 18, and, and they the do start wearing out. Are you getting that a little bit as well? Like your players are not just maybe lacking the experience, also worn out from playing so many games? I think so. Um, but to be fair, we've had so many injuries. People have, have always had time out of the team. Um, but I think I think mentally, I think they must be worn out as well. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the heads go down and the body language slumps. And, you know, when you let a goal in after three minutes against Portsmouth, you know, I think everyone's shoulders slump a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it's a tough physical league. And and when you've got youngsters playing, and, and inevitably they've, they've picked up injuries as well. Um, that That's probably been one of the factors as well, I'd agree. You touched on before a lack of quality. And I know the answer might be all the way across the pitch. But what is it that crew this season lack that they maybe had last year in terms of, the quality that's throughout the team is it defensive awareness is it experience is it a mix of things what was it you miss the most I think it's a bit of everything I think we've we we struggle in the goalkeeping department 
when I think the majority of our fans are not convinced about either of our keepers. Um, defensively, although we have some very promising young players coming through, we've chopped and changed between a three and a five at the back. Um, I think we're missing... We, we changed from a 4-3-3 because we just didn't have the personnel for it, but we haven't really had the width uh, a lot of the season and, and the pace and threat we had with, with Kirk and NG and Pickering bombing on from the fullback positions. We've really missed that. And we've really missed that, that incisive pass in the final third. The amount of times we've, we've played some nice football, but it's just broken down on the edge of the penalty area. And we've just given away, then gone and given away soft goals at the other end, either through uh, apocalyptic defending from our centre-halves or lack of cover from our midfield. It, it's a bit of everything, really, from the keepers all the way through the team. There is just, right now, a lack of quality because the replacements for the lads that have gone haven't been up to it. They've gone and then the replacements for them uh, have come in and have come into a losing team and they're struggling to find their feet. You touched on um, Mandron before playing at like left wing back, which is bizarre, but then... The reason why is because Colin McFadden was the other option, so I guess it makes sense. Um, but the the situation with Mandarin for me is whenever he plays against us, he looks tidy, scored a couple of goals against us for Gillingham, but you're touching injuries as well. I think he's he's out of Saturday and out for a considerable amount of time, and he's one of the players that's, I think he's got six and 27, so it's it's not perfect, but considering your position, he's someone you'd prefer on the pitch, I'd assume, and he's out for a while, isn't he? I think we'd prefer him on the pitch, but his, his second season here, has not really hit the heights of the first. And whether that's because he's not had the service um, at times, I think there's been question marks about his his attitude and, and his commitment. Last year, his work rate was absolutely second to none. This year, I don't think it's quite been there. At times, it seems like his part hasn't been in it. Um, and he has been, he's been shunted around the pitch. You know, he's played wide in a 4-3-3. He's played wing back, um, but he hasn't really recaptured the form that he had last year. Last year, he was when he signed, we were all really, really impressed. And we thought, actually, this is a real upgrade on Chris Porter, who'd been a brilliant servant to the club. But this year, Porter's played probably far more than we would have thought because Mandron hasn't really recaptured that form from last year. It's a real shame for him because he's, he's had a strange career and it looked like he'd started to settle at Gillingham and it looks like you started to settle at Crew, and it looks like similar patterns kind of emerging there and he's hitting 27 now, 27, 28, which should realistically be any player's prime, especially if you're centre forward. But um, obviously I watched the game when we played last time. I think from our side, we've got to be confident going in. However, I said the same about Doncaster. Um the opposition fan I had on the show, Adam, said I, I, he predicted 7-0 or something. That's how underconfident he was. And I predicted 5-0. That's how confident I was. Lo and behold, Doncaster beat us 2-1. So if crew are to win against Sunderland on Saturday, who are going to be the players that do it for you? Um, you mentioned him earlier. Chris Long, um, I think, has been one of the highlights of the season. Um, and when we go down, it's really important we keep him because I think he could score a lot of goals in League Two. He, he's a threat. He's definitely a threat. Um, Lowry, um, we've already mentioned. 
Uh, Dan Ajayi looked quite lively since we signed him from Oxford, but as I mentioned earlier, he, he limped off the other night and it didn't, I don't really know the exact details of the injury, but it didn't look like he might be playing at the weekend, to be honest, the way he went off. So I would say Chris Long and, uh, and Lowry would be the two danger men, really. I think we, we struggle to score goals from from anywhere else. I mean, Porsche will get on the end of a cross in a six-yard box, you know, he's an experienced, wily old pro. Um, but attacking outlets and options, that would be it for me, really. Cue the, cue the 1-0 defeat for some. Um, <laughs> like I said, we, we played you earlier in the season at your place and, and we were in a really good position. We were in a really good run of form. Uh, months later, obviously, another manager's gone. Alex Neal came in. And truth be told, yes, we're unbeaten in four, we've won two of the last three, but we're battling to stay in a playoff place at the minute, which is really disappointing from, from where we were last time we played you, for example. From the outside looking in, I always find something quite an interesting club to look at. But me being so emotionally involved, it's it's difficult for me to have anything other than just frustration or elation. And, and it goes the same with every football club. So from your side looking in, Steve, what do you make of Sunderland this season as, as a team and also as a club? Um, it's a, one, one thing that I think is quite interesting is obviously you've got Alex Neal as a manager. And I'm not sure if you knew, but he, he came on board with Dave Artel for a short period and kind of spent, spent a bit of time with the club. Um, so I think they they know each other uh, quite well. They're quite good friends. And he spent, I'm not sure exactly how long, but he was an advisor and he was a different voice and he tried to give some input. He didn't really change anything, but it's quite interesting that, not that Sunderland need it, but you have got someone who's maybe got a bit of insight into the, I was going to say strengths, but the weaknesses and weaknesses of the, uh, of the crew team. Um, but from the outside looking in, I, I think... Sunderland to me look look like a team from like last year really and, and I look at the players and, and I was having a look at the team the other night and looking at who was on the bench and just the the quality of the squad and the players who who can't get in the team and you can't help but compare to your own subs and you've got a 17-year-old scholar on the bench who's who's never started a league game. Um, and I look and you, I believe, I think Jermaine Defoe was on the bench the other night, who obviously is a bit is a bit long in the tooth, but, you know, he's got, we know from Chris Porter, that know-how and that experience, and he's obviously played at a far higher level than Chris Porter ever has. Um, you know, I look at players like Pritchard and Stewart and, and think, you know, they're, they're light years away from, from the kind of players that we could afford to, to buy or to pay wages to. So it's always... I think there's going to be a big following going going up there because I think a lot of fans are resigned to the fact that one way or another, it could be a long while before we play Sunderland again. It's funny you mentioned to be a big following. I managed to count the amount of Fleetwood fans yesterday. I said 38, but apparently there was 42. Um, fair play, there was 42. I say, well done to them. It's the ones that didn't turn up, but very small attendance. It was quite weird. It's funny you touched on Alex Neal. I actually had no idea about that and... and I never, ever do this. I never Googled you and I won the Wikipedia. But when you mentioned it, I thought, I've kind of got to. And that's really recent. It was November, just gone. So this season. Um, mm-hmm. And there's even conversations about when Gerard went um, from Rangers. Obviously, he was linked to the Rangers job. Artel saying that he wasn't surprised and that he said the... It's been invaluable to be able to pick Alex Neal's brain. But it would be fair to say whatever advice Alex Neal gave, it hasn't really worked, has it? <laughs> no. It's not really worked that much. And it, I mean, again, I, I don't really think Sunderland need any 
any inside info about how they may go about beating us at the weekend. But they've got someone who's been there and knows the players and knows the the weaknesses, although they're fairly apparent, to be honest. It's funny you, you mentioned something in the players we've got. And, the, and the, I kind of want to write them down. I think, God, why are we not pushing higher up? I mean, we're currently fifth at the time of speaking. Obviously, it's... I think it's going to be difficult for playoffs because not just do you need to win them, we need to get in them. And there's a few teams below us that are on um, one game in hand, two games in hand. And yes, they've got to win it. But, you know, the, the truth is, if they win their games, we're at the playoffs, which is really disappointing for Sunderland. And I, I certainly don't want to uh, be negative about the fact that we're unbeaten in four and we've and we've just won. But sometimes I feel it's an inevitability with Sunderland. From the inside looking in, though, from the outside looking in, though, do you think the chance of us going up through the playoffs, we should still be massively confident based on the players and the team and the manager we have? I think so. I I, I think there is a gap, though. I, I look at the teams that I've seen this season that have really impressed me have been uh, Oxford, Plymouth. Plymouth looked really good, really pacey, really threatening when they played us. Sunderland looked really good when you, you dismantled us at home. Ironically, I wasn't I wasn't really that taken with Wigan. I don't think they, they looked that great against us. Rotherham looked looked really a, a good side. Um, but I think you could be confident that with the players you've got, if you I think getting into those playoffs, it's about the run and it's about that momentum that takes you into the playoffs. Um, or conversely, I've got this theory that the team that sometimes just scrapes into the playoffs and is glad to be there. They're often the, the team that can blindside other people because they feel, you know, no pressure. They scraped in there. So I think you want to be one of those two teams, really. The team that flies into those playoffs with loads of momentum or just staggers across the finish line. But uh, I would imagine that you'll probably get in there. Wickham, Wickham didn't impress me, but those other teams I've mentioned, I think they'll be there or thereabouts. Yeah, me too. Um, I think Plymouth have responded well to losing the manager as well, which I thought might have fallen off a lot. I know they have fallen off from first in the league, but I never expected them to continue with that, shall we say. Um, I never expected them to be top of the league come this time. No offence, Plymouth, but they've steadied the ship, shall we say, I think is the word. But fingers crossed, you know, we've got games coming up that we can win, hopefully beginning on Saturday. Um, I'll give my prediction first. Always the final question, Steve, as I'm sure you know and that the listeners do. I've got to be confident. I've got to be honest and say that the game against Fleetwood was horrendous for 81 minutes and made me want to put my head through a window. Um, but the last nine minutes, you know, wins a win and a couple of players coming back and, and Luke were nine and Jermaine Default got 45 minutes and probably the best he's looked since he's came back. So um, do I feel confident of a clean sheet? No, I don't think I ever have this season. So I'll take a 3-1 something. But where are you going with the game on, on Saturday, Steve? I think... Um... I think actually we've we've restored some belief. Um, there's a bit more fight in the team, so the, the 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 process that we had a little run of losing quite heavily, like we lost four one and four one back to back. I think it'll probably two nil two nil to Sunderland. Um, I don't think we'll score, um, and I don't think we would concede a load. I think we're kind of hopefully beyond that stage, but. I can't see us threatening the goal. So two, two or three nil, but I'm going to be optimistic and go two nil. 
I'll take either. I'm happy with either. Um, but Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Nice to catch up again for like it's been over yeah. a year, I think, and, and things have vastly changed. We're out the house these days, fantastic. Yeah. Um, which is always a benefit, isn't it? Rather than being stuck in. But um, I would wish you luck for the rest of the season after Saturday, which I still will do, but it is looking a bit hairy for you, mate. But fingers crossed you can pull yourself out of it. And thanks as always for being on and for everyone listening. I would honestly recommend listening to the podcast that your boys are releasing today slash tomorrow if you're listening as I'm recording this which you can't be it's impossible um, because I think that would be really interesting considering what A playing you on Saturday B I think it's a it's a great get to get at any level to get the manager on the podcast so it should be interesting but Steve thanks for coming on mate not a problem always a pleasure thank you <laughs>